please remain standing if you're able, and let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, I'll be looking at verses 32 to the end of the chapter. I'd like to begin reading at verse 26. This is God's holy word. Let us hear it. Beginning in verse 26, the writer to the Hebrews writes, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere, or rather, and preserve their souls. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. In those first verses we reread today, that we considered last week, verses 26 to 31, the writer gives one of the most sober Warnings in all of Scripture. Finishing with those words, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's one of the most fearful verses in all of the Bible. 
And it's good for us to hear it because it is a warning for all people, but certainly here in this context, it is a warning specifically for those who profess to be believers in Christ, to turn away from Christ, the only Savior, and to turn away from the only way of salvation that God has provided means that that person will fall into God's hands of judgment at the last day, if not temporal judgment, even sooner. Certainly, he's picturing eternity. He's picturing hell. But after giving this very stern warning there in those verses, here in verses 32 to 39, the writer changes his tone. He begins to speak kind, tender words of encouragement to his readers. Now, he's still saying the same thing. He's encouraging them, urging them to press on in the faith, to not give up, to not turn away. He's urging them, press on, persevere in faith in Jesus Christ. But his tone is is much softer here. John Chrysostom commented that the writer here acts like a surgeon who comforts and encourages his patient after he's made a very painful incision. He expresses confidence here in his readers. He comforts them and he encourages them to take the right course like they had in the past. They'd faced serious difficulties in the past and they'd gone the right way. And that's what he's saying here again. He's saying, remember your past endurance under the trials you faced long ago. And he calls them to respond now in the same way to their present trials. The writer of Hebrews points his readers to their own history here as a way of helping them to live well in the present. We need to learn from history, right? We hear that a lot. Helps you to keep from making the same mistakes over and over again. Well, here the writer is pointing his readers back to their history, their personal history. He begins with a call to remembrance. He says, recall the former days after you were enlightened. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Isn't that interesting? He calls them to to remember some bad times. He doesn't tell them, hey, remember the good old days. The time when life was easy, when everything was good. You know, that's what we like to do. We look back at the good things. We're like, man, I wish I could get back to those good times. That's not what he's doing here. He's calling them to remember the bad times, remember the hard times, the times of struggle and suffering that they endured well. And that's the point. They endured them. You know, The reality is, as Christians, it's good for us to remember the bad times. If you think about it, the good times don't really do us all that much good, spiritually speaking. 
But the hard times, those are the times when the Lord is at work. The Lord is testing us. The Lord's giving us trials. Trials that will do us good. Trials that will make us grow. We become better through our trials. We grow in character. We grow stronger. Our faith is strengthened. We become more like Christ uh, if, in fact, we are Christians. The Lord doesn't waste our trials. But so often we see in Scripture, uh, looking back, looking back to the history of God's people, uh, especially in the Old Covenant, what happened when things were good? They went astray. They went after other gods. They turned away from the Lord. I think we shouldn't be so quick to want to forget the hard times. Those hard times can be some of the most blessed times in our lives. We should actually be encouraged when we go through times like that because God redeems those times. He uses them in our lives more than we can even imagine. And not only our lives, but he'll use those trials and things that you go through in the lives of other people and to um, work in your life so that you can minister to other people in the future. And he sustains us and he, he enables us to endure those trials in faith and even to glorify him in the midst of them. We don't like those bad times, but those bad times do us much good. Rather, the Lord does us much good through them. And that's what happened in the past with these folks. God upheld them. God preserved them so that they were able to persevere in the faith. Through whatever they were going through, their faith held. Look at verses 33 to 34 again. He describes what happened back in those days. Some of these bad things that happened in those uh, rough times of trouble. He says, remember when you were sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. And yet you had compassion on those who were in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. We don't know for sure. He might be referring to a time of persecution under the emperor Claudius that began around A.D. 49. It really doesn't matter what the specific persecution was, though. The point is, it happened, and it was going to continue to happen. And in the past, when it happened, they stood firm in the faith by God's grace. They not only endured those trials, but their faith was strengthened in them. They grew. They bore good spiritual fruit in those days, as the writer tells us here. It was very hard. It was a very hard struggle. There was much suffering, but he says, bottom line is you endured. And again, to be more specific, their faith endured. They persevered, living by faith in the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't turn from him. 
that is a huge encouragement. It's meant to be an encouragement to these people who are receiving this letter, but it's an encouragement to us all just to know that we can endure by God's grace some of the worst things. It's been done in the past by God's people under the worst kinds of trials, under the worst kinds of persecutions. At this point, when the writer's writing, the worst persecutions hadn't even come yet. So he's preparing them for the future. But what an encouragement to know that their faith held in the past. So we're to look back to those times just as they were to look back and remember how God had upheld them, remember how God had enabled them to endure those trials, and he brought them through in faith. Their faith in Christ was sustained. They persevered in it. They came through it, continuing to trust in the Savior. And the writer's calling for remembrance of those old days when this young church had persevered so beautifully in the face of such opposition, such strong opposition. He says, remember those days. Remember when you, received, you had received the light of the gospel. You'd been enlightened after they'd come to faith in Christ. Remember how you stood your ground in that great struggle, in that great suffering. The writer knows that remembering those things, remembering those days past, when they stood fast, would help them to remain steadfast in their present trials. Because they're facing something very similar. You know, we haven't faced that kind of persecution as Christians in the West. But that may be changing. Christians in the West may soon face real persecution for their faith. And if and when it comes, we'll probably see the same kinds of temptations that these folks were facing, and that is to turn away from Christ. People who profess to be Christians giving up their profession because it's too costly to hold on to it. And people will turn away like that. When they do, yes, it will show that they were never really believers, never really regenerated, alive in Christ to begin with. But these early Christians that the writer's writing to here, they were for real. And God enabled them to endure that previous suffering for their faith. Some were in jail. Some lost their property. And they were willing for that to happen rather than to give up their faith. These people accepted their losses. In fact, they accepted them with joy. Because they knew that they had far better things. They knew that they had Christ and he was infinitely more valuable than anything that they could have and lose in this life. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, 
Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. We need to endure persecutions for Christ if and when they do come. Nothing is more valuable than our Savior and abiding faith in him. When we do endure those trials, we'll come to know him better, just as we do in all our trials. We come to know the Savior better. We come to be made more like him. We have the joy of fellowship with him in his sufferings. Your eyes will be fixed more on heaven and on eternity. And that's where they're meant to be. These were the kinds of good things that happened to these early Christians. They became far more heavenly-minded when they lost their earthly treasures. These spiritual blessings that came to them in the midst of their sufferings very much encouraged them. They encouraged them to persevere in the faith. That happened in the past, and the writer wants to see it happening again. And so he's urging them, remember those days. Those were days of victory because you endured. So remember and do the same thing now. Endure again. Don't shrink back, he says. Endure in faith. Persevere in your faith in Christ. You know, in our day, that's exactly what we're called to do as well. We are to endure in faith. Christians are not called to win the culture. They're not called to transform the culture or even to save our nation. They might not be saved. But that is not to be our goal in any case, nor is anything else in this world, really. Our main goal is to stay true to our Savior who loves us and who died for us. We are to stand firm in our faith, in him, and bear witness for him in the world, in the face of this hostile world, this world that hates our Savior and hates us who know him. That is the call to us. Keep standing firm in Christ by faith. The writer says in verse 35, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. The confidence he means here is not self-confidence. Certainly not. He's talking about their confidence in Christ, their confidence of salvation, which is based on Jesus Christ and his finished work, his perfect finished work of salvation. The writer is saying, don't throw away that confidence, your confession in Christ in the midst of this this trial, this opposition, your reward will be great in heaven for persevering. Peter writes of that subject of our reward 
1 Peter 1, verse 4, we look forward to a heavenly reward as God's people. He speaks there of an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us. And he adds in verse 6, there in 1 Peter 1, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. That's exactly what these folks were going through. Now, they too didn't live for rewards, and we shouldn't be uh, too focused on heavenly rewards, certainly not thinking of them in terms of uh, a reward for our service to the Lord or our, uh, our uh, obedience. The rewards that we receive from the Lord uh, will be ultimately uh, completely because of God's grace to us in Christ that has joined us to Christ. And we're not to, to live for those rewards but yet the reality is God has promised them, and that is wonderful. We ought to think on those things. and We ought to uh, have great joy as we anticipate uh, that wonderful eternal inheritance that God has stored up for us. It's going to be far better than anything we have in this life. And it's far more secure than anything that we have in this life. It is an inheritance that can never be taken away. So it's good for us to think about that, that future heavenly hope that is ours. And it does add to our motivation to persevere and stand firm in the faith. We need to be thinking about heaven and the glories to come and not fixated on this world. John Calvin wrote, Wherever the feeling of heavenly good things is strong, he's saying keep your eyes on heaven and the good things to come. Wherever that feeling of heavenly good things is strong, there is no taste for the world and its allurements so that no sense of poverty and shame can overwhelm our minds with sorrow. So if we wish to bear any suffering for Christ with patience, then let us grow accustomed to frequent meditation on that future happiness, that heavenly happiness, in comparison with which all the goods of this world are but rubbish, rubbish. That's where our mind should be focused, on our heavenly happiness that is to come. People live for those things, live for those things that endure, not for the things that are passing away, the things of this life. If your mind is set on eternal things, then you'll be able to endure the momentary and light afflictions of this life far better. Verse 36, he says, you have need of endurance 
so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Again, it's the future focus he's pointing us to here. We need to have our minds fixed in that way on the future. You may receive. He's saying you will receive in the future this blessing that God has promised. Again, this reward, this eternal inheritance. It's promised, but it's for later. That's his point here. For now, in this life, we endure. And that's not the message we get from the world, is it? Wait for the future, for the good things to come. This world, the people in it, and of course our sin nature as well, wants instant gratification. We want what we want now. We want the good things now. We don't want to have to wait. The Christians are called to endure now and to look forward to the very best things. We will receive those good things later if we endure now. And that future will be glorious. Revelation 7 gives us just a little glimpse of those good things to come. They shall hunger no more, John writes, neither thirst. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. and He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We can't even begin to imagine how good and wonderful our eternal inheritance is, the wonderful future that God has stored up for us, and it's ours all because of Jesus Christ. And we have a share in it because we trust in Jesus Christ personally to be our Savior. All our hope is in him. All our dependence is on him and on what he has done for us. Keep that glorious future in your minds. Keep your eyes on it. It's so important to help you to do what you need to do now, and that is to persevere in faith. Verse 37, the writer again points our eyes forward. Again, he's got that view to the future, and he wants us to have that. And he's speaking, of course, here of the second coming of Christ. He says in verse 37, for yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. Again, that future focus on the coming of the Lord. Now, we're so blessed already as believers in Christ In this life, we have the Lord Jesus Christ spiritually present with us already, even now, through the Holy Spirit who indwells us. We're brought into a saving union with him, and we have living communion with Christ. 
we can enjoy that fellowship with him and we can enjoy it more and more as we draw nearer to him. Reading his word, worshiping him, praying. And it's his finished work on the cross that gave us those blessings already. We have the Savior even now by his spirit. But as good as that is, as good as it is for us to have access to the Father now, full access to his throne of grace, and to have the Savior and the Spirit within us, it's going to be so much better when he comes. So much better when the coming one comes. We will see him face to face. Our king will be here with us. The rebels will be overthrown. His kingdom will be fully and openly established. And we look forward to that day. And we wait eagerly for it. We know it's coming. The writer wants us to know it's coming. Our Lord is coming. And when he does, he'll make all things right. And with that confidence in him and in his future coming, we can wait a little while longer. We can endure the things of this world and the sufferings of this world a little while longer as we await his coming when he will right every wrong. But waiting doesn't mean doing nothing either. We are active as we wait for his coming. Thomas Watson writes, Christians do not arrive at perseverance by sitting still and doing nothing. We're not like passengers on a ship who are carried to the end of their voyage while they sit still in the ship. No, we arrive at salvation by the use of means. Just as a man comes to the end of a race by running, and he comes to a victory by fighting, in the same way we will reach our goal by persevering in faith in Christ. We are to keep believing. We are to keep living our lives in faith and living out that faith in obedience to the Lord. We're to keep growing in faith. We're to keep um, doing that in the most basic ways, using the means of grace, coming together to worship the Lord hearing his word, partaking of the sacraments, and communing with him in prayer. The writer says in verse 38, my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. That is a picture of persevering in faith, faith in Christ being warned, the Lord will not be pleased with those who turn away from him. But he will be pleased with the one who holds fast to his son in faith. 
continues trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for his salvation, no matter what comes our way, no matter what tempts us to turn away from him. He will be pleased when we endure in faith, and he himself will strengthen us and enable us to endure and to persevere to the end. Seek him for that grace and help to endure in the times of weakness, in times of temptation. No matter what the world does to us, we can rejoice in these things because we are more than conquerors. Paul writes in Romans 8, a familiar passage, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. the love of Christ holding us fast with all that we have to look forward to for all eternity. We have every reason to press on toward that glorious future. Whatever comes at us in this life, whatever we may lose in this life, even if we lose everything, we'll never lose And in him we have all things, all things. So don't shrink back. This is the one thing, most important of all, the writer exhorts us here, don't shrink back from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Press on by faith in him to the fullness of your salvation. Hold fast to Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this portion of your word. We thank you for the exhortation to hold fast to the Savior. Lord, by the grace of your Spirit, help us, change us, and give us that heavenly-mindedness that we need, that focus on the glorious things to come when our Savior comes. Grant that we would have the endurance that we need to persevere, Preserve us, Lord, so that we will indeed persevere in faith. The faith that is in your Son, to your praise and glory, and to our eternal good. We thank you for hearing our prayers, and we ask this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.